You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. We're your hosts, Sophia and Leah. Uh, today we have with us Gina. I didn't ask you how you pronounce your last name. Is it Mundi? Mundi. Mundi. I was like, it's either potato, potato. Mundi. Gina Mundi. Um, yeah, and I'll just hand it over to you. Will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, well, thank you, Sophia and Leah, for having me today. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am uh, an attorney specializing in childbirth cases. I have done this for over 20 years. I got my first case in February, 2003. And basically for your audience uh, who does not know what what that is or what that means, um, basically during the birth of a child, if something goes wrong, um, whether it's a mistake or a complication and baby's not born healthy, or I've had some cases where, you know, moms have passed away during childbirth, Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turns into, um, those cases then turn into a lawsuit against the hospital. I am then one of the attorneys that come in and I tried to figure out, okay, what happened, what went wrong, but probably more importantly, you know, what should have been done. So baby would have been born healthy or mom would be around to, you know, raise, raise her baby. So those questions have taken me all over the United States, many times meeting with delivery teams. Um, and just hashing out basically every aspect of labor and delivery. Um, so I, after I say it was about 19 years into it, uh, we had like this kind of like close near family, you know, tragic birth or whatever. Everybody's fine, but it got kind of got my wheels turning a little bit. And I'm like, hmm, because I have daughters and I, I have two daughters and a son. And I'm like, hmm, I know a lot from these cases. Um, you know, what if I'm not around like for the birth of my grandkids and you you start thinking all of that stuff. So I started to write down what I had learned, um, from these baby cases, um, you know, basically in order to help prevent these mistakes and complications so that we can have more, you know, healthy babies or, you know, moms that, you know, don't pass during childbirth. Um, so basically I started writing a book. It took me, um, it's called a parent's guide to a safer childbirth. And basically it took 14 months, thousands of hours. Um, but I wrote a book on how to help prevent these mistakes and complications, because I'll tell you the hardest part of my job by far is that day I have to sit down with the families who didn't have a healthy baby or the baby, you know, unfortunately I have a lot of babies that do pass during um, childbirth and the moms. I mean, the hardest part by far is when I have to sit down and hear the day, you know, that their baby was born or, um, you know, the day, you know, they lost their mom or their wife. So basically, um, instead of getting involved 
uh, after a mistake has been made or in the aftermath of something bad happening. I'm trying to get involved before childbirth uh, in hopes, you know, we can prevent these mistakes and complications. Um, so yeah, so that's me in a fast nutshell. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, thank you. I'm curious what led you to do this specific part of law work. <clears throat> like 20 years is a long time. So was there like a specific thing that happened or, you know? Yeah, just kind of like landed well, in your lap or? It's, that is like, the I get that question all the time now especially since i wrote the book and okay literally i never knew this field even existed they don't teach you about this in law school i didn't learn about it in college i mean i wanted to be an attorney from when i was like in third grade so you know one ever said okay there there's these childbirth cases and you know this or that so actually i wanted to be a real estate attorney so literally graduated high school or high school graduated <laughs> law school uh, passed the bar exam, went out to get my first job as an attorney, landed in um, basically the childbirth cases. It was at a bigger firm who did have a real estate division. I'm like, you know, if I can just get my foot in the door. Um, but then I got my first case and I was just like, whoa, something can go wrong during child. They have a whole team of people just focusing on all the mistakes made during childbirth. And also I had just gotten married a couple months before that. So having babies was on my radar, you know, and all my friends were having babies and I'm like, guys, guys, something can go wrong, <laughs> you know? And so I get these cases in and I'm like, whoa. And I've just been absolutely obsessed since. Like, I just love my job. I love what I do. Um, but it's good because it's always been a hard job um, because of what I have to see and deal with. But I love it in so much now because you know I know that there's different ways that you know I can step in and try to help families so they don't have to so basically they never have to meet someone like me mm -hmm. professionally yeah. professionally yeah I'm sure anyone listening right now is what is it like what are the things that I can do because I know a lot of people are building birth plans these days and what their wishes are um and does do you feel like the book helps support that on how to make their their like oh 100 percent uh is it chapter i'm like hold on chapter <laughs> six have a plan so listen i love the idea of a plan my plan though in my book is like a little bit different i'm not like hey we're going you know obviously you guys know this uh childbirth like good luck planning it um things change <laughs> good luck so it's not so much the plan in and of itself it's the act of preparing for childbirth and that's really what my book stresses the most are the different things that parents need to know about childbirth so they can make good decisions because when good decisions are made healthy babies are born in my cases i can tell you right now these families are one decision or minutes from a healthy baby. So having an understanding when you walk through that door of what is childbirth and what you need to know is huge. So yes, I am like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do a plan. So it because you know this, moms go into labor, they go into a different state of mind. It, it's like the one time in life, it's okay to be in a bunch of pain. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're in a different state of mind. You don't wanna walk in not ready. I mean, there's so many people that are like, Ooh, 
What about color are we going to paint the nursery? Cute mm -hmm. clothes. What stroller? You know, listen, childbirth attorney here is like, we're, you got to get ready for childbirth. This is what you need to know. Um, yeah. So I do go over plans and what to think about and stuff like that. But even in the book, you know, I get a lot of calls from labor. I get a lot of calls from labor and delivery because of what I do. But I, you know, I've even put in one of the stories from there where, you know, mom basically just rolls up to labor and delivery. Doctors giving her options, telling her things she's not familiar with. And she is like deer in the head. Like she just gets on her phone and starts calling people. I need help. Somebody directs her to me. I don't even know this person. And, you know, and she can't even describe to me what the doctor's saying because she is just deer in the headlights because that element of surprise will catch you off guard and make it so you can't focus. And you need to be able to focus and make those good decisions, um, especially given, you know, the state of mind. So again, preparing it, a plan, it's more of the act of preparing in the comfort of your own home making phone calls, learning about childbirth. So you can make those decisions or pivot if you need to. Yeah, yeah. we try to prioritize that. That's why our appointments are so long. So we have a, a bunch of time prenatally to talk about all these options because it's so hard to do it in, in the moment, you know? That way, that hopefully it's just awesome. refresher in the moment, you know, and not like the first time they're hearing about it. Um, I love it. I love it. I love that you guys do that. I did not have anyone. I mean, obviously I was a year into this when I had my first baby. So I had a general understanding, you know, um, not like I do today, not like you guys do, but my doctor never did that. I think that's amazing that you guys do that. And I'm telling you, you're going to help moms have safer childbirths literally by sitting them down and educating them and having those long appointments. Your, your patients are very lucky. Thanks. And we call them clients. Yeah. Because well, as I said, that's funny. As I said, patient, I was thinking client. No. <laughs> I was like, mm, I think they're clients. Yep. Well, and that's like, like Sophie and I were both doulas before we became midwives. And at least for me, and I think for Sophia too, we just sort of got tired of seeing women not being educated and not really knowing their options and frankly being lied to about what the options were mm -hmm. and I just was like I can't I can't do this anymore I'm just gonna do it myself yeah and so that's why we, we became primary providers so that we could take matters into our own hands and mm -hmm. you know it's just always interesting and I'm curious we'll get into it later maybe but like what your experience is with advocating for women who are being told that they can or cannot do something and what their legal rights are. Like Sophia always says, when you go into the hospital, you don't need a doula, you need a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll switch Both, to Both, ideally. But you know what? That, that makes sense because that I do. I get a lot of text, text and phone calls from uh, labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. so listen, I, first chapter in my book um moms are the decision makers doctors midwife everybody's like the medical advisors mm -hmm. these are your options and you have to make the decisions and any other and now I've said this on podcasts I've said this to people and they're like oh but our doctor walked in and said we have to have a c-section right now and I'm mm -hmm. like well actually 
you know, now, you know, that that's not right. Yes. Well, some doctors walk in and, you know, C-section right now, but I always say in, in those circumstances is kind of read your doctor a little bit. Are they like super panically panicking? Like this is a stat C-section we have to move. Or are they like, I think we need to do a C-section, you know, are they, are they more calm or whatnot, but no, nobody can start an IV. Nobody can do a C-section. Nobody can start pit. Nobody can do an operative, you know, vaginal delivery or whatever. No one can do anything without, they can't start oxygen, give you a bolus without your consent, 100%. So as long as moms know that, and you know what, sometimes it takes that attorney to be like, no, you know, this is, you are the decision maker um, and whatnot. But yeah, you know, that that's it. But I th I just think it's more of parents moms don't understand that going into childbirth. So they are like, okay, doctor, whatever you say, you get a strong headed doctor. And they're like, yeah, you know, they just go with it. Well, there's this feeling of that, like who is responsible if the, the parents go in without any education and just kind of like hand over everything to the doctors. And they're just sitting there like letting things happen to them without being like active participants in decision-making. Um, a hundred percent. I'm so happy you just said that. So chapter one of my book goes over all of the different lessons that, you know, you can learn from these baby cases, whether it's a lesson from the families, the doctors, the medical experts, whoever's in the case, lesson number one is literally learning about labor and delivery, because in these cases, these are the families that roll up and they don't know anything and they're relying on their delivery team. Let me tell you, I do, when I have to talk to them, they know so much more in the aftermath of something going wrong. But I think, unfortunately, a lot of the families, I mean, we're all guilty of it. Bad things only happen to other people. And when you have that mentality, that leaves you in a very vulnerable state of mind. So no, it's, let me tell you, learning about that's lesson number one, and it's from the families, hundred yeah. percent. One thing we say over and over again is our preference is that we're here to educate, or like you said, advise, um, but that every family is going to make their own risk analysis. And for one person, staying home would be too risky. And for another, going to the hospital would be too risky. But that um, our preference is that each family gets to decide. Um, and we we always say, like, if you're at a point where you're like, I can't make a decision, we're always going to, like, err on the side of caution with, like, air quotes. You know, we'll always... Like if they're not sure if they should take the test or do the procedure, you know, if you're going to default back to us, we're always going to say to do those things. But if you're willing and able to take the responsibility and decide what you feel is best for you and your family, um, then we were like really supportive. And I that. think, yeah, I think the support piece yes. is like the whole thing around that. Right. That, that we actually support that it. That we actually support it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. No, it's awesome yeah like we'll have yeah, some families guys... that don't do want to do any testing you know mm -hmm. and most people want to pick and choose what they want but that we're not saying that they can decline but then telling them how their baby's gonna die you know and like making yeah. them feel like they don't have a choice to actually decline you guys are awesome that <laughs> is great care right there let me tell you to give them their options you decide but kind of obviously you guys you guys have the experience. You're very likable, trustworthy, and kind people too, who are very smart and articulate. 
you know, so it's important that, you know, also, yeah, you do give your opinion. I like that you err on the side of caution because as an attorney, (laughs) (laughs) all I do is a risk analysis all the time. That's like me. Yeah. Well, and what's, what's a tricky balance is that, you know, in the hospital specifically, sometimes that pressure that, you know, doctors or even hospital midwives, nurses Mm -hmm. can put on moms sometimes comes from the need to document Mm -hmm. or the need to, you know, cover all their bases or really make sure that things are Mm -hmm. done, you know, to hospital protocol and to, you know, ACOG guidelines because they're afraid of litigation. Mm -hmm. So it's tricky because it's like how much of those procedures and that pressure and all of that actually comes from litigation fear Mm -hmm. and their insurance dropping them, which that's part of it. Um, And then, but at the same time, parents having the rights to say, no, this was done or this wasn't done. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you know, this Mm -hmm. tragedy or this outcome happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what? Let me tell you in these cases too, I mean, it sucks, but it's all about documentation, Mm -hmm. you know, and the way, you know, sometimes they get around it is like, if there is not a lot or whatever, they're like, okay, patient cares first, but then they get, they get drilled by, you know, the attorneys, like, why are there, why is there not enough documentation? So what happens is, yeah, you're right. There is litigation fear. And so everybody is documenting more, but guess what? When everybody's sitting there documenting, especially in a busy labor and delivery unit, eyes are off baby. Eyes are, eyes are not there. And so, especially when you got a busy unit, cause you guys know this. I mean, this is not a scheduled surgery center where, or a different part of a hospital where everything is scheduled and they can staff accordingly. It's like, no, babies come when babies want to come. So boom. You got a busy unit and then all this pressure with the hospital people to, you know, document, document, document. Yeah, it's uh it it's hard making patients priority when that's you know in the back of their head. Not much to women, you have to document it mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things you're doing and that you need to observe and manage. Yeah, we're documenting offered her I'm the angry political offered line. her <laughs> lemon water. <laughs> right right client declines doing lunch it's not like you know titration of medications and reactions and you know shift change and that kind of thing i'm i'm curious gina do you know the brain acronym has has that come across your acronym Um, it's something oh. that as a doula I used a lot with clients. And then if any of our families end up in the hospital, we recommend like we send a little screenshot. It's an acronym that stands for like medical decision making and B is benefits, R is risks, A is alternatives, I is intuition, and N is either like need time or do nothing. Um, so the idea is that you're gathering information like, do I need to make this decision right now or can I have a half hour to talk about it? Kind of like how you said when they come in and they say we want to see section, like what's their tone, but actually stopping and being like, do we have time have to time? talk about this? Or is, yeah, you know. can we have privacy to talk about it? Um, benefits, risks, alternatives. And then it's only if they're honest about all the alternative options and then really sitting with that, like what's your, your gut saying to you? Um, so that's one of the acronyms that we really encourage parents to, to utilize. Um, I have a son who is in 
still is in the medical system a lot. And it was really helpful for me, not even like childbirth related. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to do a blog on that. Yeah. Well, I do. So I've been, I ch- started a childbirth blog with stuff that, you know, I'd be like, oh, I should have included that, you know, in the uh-huh. book. What's, I, what's your blog called? We'll put uh, it in- it's literally, it's just on ginamundi.com. It's just called the childbirth blog where I've been. And actually one of my next ones I'm going to write are um, doulas about doulas too um your blog will be your second book huh (laughs) wow it's so well I do so this book is childbirth I do have a second book pregnancy when that could possibly get out I'm so busy I don't know so I keep I'm trying to filter some of that really important content just on the blog just so it's out there or whatnot yeah Um, but it was funny when I was writing my book everybody's like well are you including doulas and I'm like you know I don't really know a lot now hold on this is different now now I know a lot about doulas but anyway when I'm writing my book like I really don't know a lot like about doulas you know so I just put like maybe one or two sentences in about doulas or you know and and then it's like wait a minute the childbirth attorney who only sees things go wrong doesn't know anything about doulas oh because doulas aren't in the cases uh-huh. oh doulas are having say they're helping parents clearly have safer childbirth so I go to my baby lawyer friends and I'm like do you guys have like doulas in your cases and they're like they're like no I'm like what do you know about doulas they're like not much I'm like well I mean they know like personally or whatever but nothing like legal or anything like that because it's funny when that's why I love that you guys were doulas because you know it's obviously something that's helping these parents have safer deliveries you know and when you're there and you're you know you guys can help talk to the delivery team and speak their speak their language you know and communicate like, with them. Huge. sometimes too where like the providers will say one thing and we can put into more layman terms sometimes um when you said that about doulas Mm -hmm. though um and it it brought up a question I had about like have you noticed any patterns you know um like that like wow there were no doulas in these you know patterns one way or another that you feel like is always the case or never the case um that could help guide parents on you know how to have safer births So chapter 11 of my book are the reoccurring facts and issues in the legal baby cases. So when I was writing the book, that was, that was like another reason I wrote it because I would get cases in and they would have very similar facts to the point where sometimes a doctor would call me and if they don't identify the case, I'm like, which case are you talking about? These are in all my cases, you know, So I'm like, okay, if I can get this out there, this information, and then, you know, even then give parents like a heightened sense of awareness and then even some like guidance on, well, this happens, you know, this is, this is what you can do to help prevent the mistakes. But anyway, so chapter 11, um, you know what, I almost want to make you guys guess. Um, the most common, okay, we're doing it. We're guessing. <laughs> okay. You ready? The number one, I want you guys, I know. Okay. Ready? The number one, most common fact and issue in a legal baby case. It's in almost every single one of my cases. What do you think it is? Um, I I'm like trying to think of what direction it's going. Um, like, are you talking about like a procedure? that is in all the cases is that what you mean so my so in the cases the typical case is so 
Um, so for instance, elective C-sections at 39 weeks, I've never had a baby case about an elective C-section. So when you have a, your typical baby case is going to start with a vaginal birth. Mm -hmm. So it would be like the onset of a vaginal birth. So mom presents to the hospital and vaginal birth. All right. All right. Your time's <laughs> up. I got to so the number one most common uh, fact, reoccurring issue in my baby cases, Pitocin. Mm. Yeah, we should guess that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was yep. going to say induction. Yep. But I was thinking that when you said vaginal birth, I was thinking they were already in labor. Um, but yeah. Pitocin. Pitocin. Mm -hmm. Yes. Pitocin. I get a case in the door. The first words I typically read, mom is being induced with Pitocin. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. So basically I've seen the Pitocin induction has gone wrong since February, 2003. So that's my first case. So I do have a chapter in my book um, on what I, you know, learned about Pitocin um, from, you know, all of the cases, but basically I'm sure you're, and, and listen, a lot of doctors do this, but you know, whatever, slow and steady. I mean, there's lots of, there's that they don't, but you know, I'm just like, wait for mom's body to react and, you know, but you don't just slow and steady would let mom react and then, you know, go, go from there to, you know, you want to, you know, this, mm -hmm. they want to make sure they hit their sweet spot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without, you know, stressing out baby. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I mean, that makes total sense, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I, have, I know. So I've, I'm on, you know, podcasts all over the world. I've never made a host guess. <laughs> so, but you guys are, you guys are so cool. I'm like, no, I'm making them guess. So we just don't use it in that way. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. no excuse. I didn't even go to the yeah. park, so. but I did just have COVID, so it affects oh. the brain. not really. <laughs> that's my yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's really makes sense and is interesting yeah, yeah is there anything else that's a recurring thing that pops up in all the cases or most of them um so very common uh very uh, busy labor and delivery units mm -hmm. so you have the delivery teams like i said they're running hard they're thinned out they gotta freaking document everything um but busy units is definitely eyes off baby and then you have a family who's not educated about childbirth or whatnot doesn't know how to kind of more work I you know in my book I'm like kind of got to like learn how to like work with your delivery team a little bit or like if you had a doula or somebody like you guys you know like they're kind of advocating or just making sure everything's hunky-dory um but yeah busy labor and like I will sit down with a witness and I'm like I remember that day it was so busy and I'm like, yep. Yeah. So, um, that one, uh, things tend to go wrong, um, after the water breaks. Mm -hmm. So after you guys break mom's, after mom's water breaks. So, you know, they stress in the book. Yeah. They want to, they want to break your water. You got to ask them, is it because you want to be home for dinner or is there a medical reason to break my water? So I have a question about that. Do you mean when her water's open or like when they're broken? 
like spontaneous or art ruptured it, artificially? It doesn't matter. It can be spontaneous. It can, and I, I oh. think I actually make that like it doesn't matter if it's artificial or spontaneous. Once that bag of water breaks, you know, and I think it's just the environment and the uterus and surrounding baby and the cord and the placenta, or you know, I mean, I've had water break in the placenta, just you know um whatever and obviously that's the baby's lifeline um so you know once the so I think the more important aspect of that is if the doctor wants to break the water your water you know their water is just like why because mm -hmm. once that happens it's like okay well we need to keep a close eye on baby mm -hmm. so yeah another one is uh residents mm -hmm. do you guys work with residents yeah we do we work with them or not work. I mean, do you ever, yeah, wherever have, you're helping with the babies or anything? I have several, um, I was in midwifery school, so I feel like I was maybe a little more educated than some doulas, but I had cases where residents were just like, I was looking at them, I was looking at what was happening, I was looking at them, and I like, and maybe this is like a female thing, but I like didn't want to embarrass them. That was like mm -hmm. a thought that I had. And then I was mm -hmm. like, look, there's a hematoma forming in her vagina, mm -hmm. you know, or like just things that, and when it's busy and, you know, or whatever's going on, like they don't know things mm -hmm. and they're just left to do, yeah. do everything. They, they run the, these hospitals, man, let me tell they were on the show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're the ones that talk to the doctor. So here's the thing with the residents. So I, this is very, this is so common. So you'll have a case, like something goes wrong during childbirth, during their residency, but then I don't meet with them for many years later. Um, these are long cases and, you know, just it's whatnot. So very common for the residents to be like, do I testify as to what I know now as a practicing doctor or as to what I knew as a resident in training, legit question for a legal proceeding, but a little scary when that's the person like running, running the show, you know, and communicating with your doctor. So, you know, I go over, you know, stuff like that, but you know, it's funny in the book, it's not funny, but I, I focused on what was common and reoccurring issues. But as I've now published the book, there's been more of a focus on what's not in my cases. So I had the, what is in my cases, but I've had like, what's not like the doulas. Doulas aren't in my cases. Never had a case with a doula, nor do I know someone who's had a case with a doula. So that's good. That means they're, they're making a difference, but then, so we have to subpoena all the medical records um, in a case. Um, so um, if mom was pregnant and she was seen in an emergency room, she was seen anywhere else, I have to get like even her prior pregnancy records. I mean, you name it. I, I've looked at millions and millions of records. Um, but uh, I was just on the uh, podcast with a chiropractor and I'm, she's like, well, does in your cases, has anyone got like the chiropractic like adjustments for pregnancy? And I'm like, no, no. No, because they, you know, they, she works, she says to align everything, you know, to help baby come out. And I'm like, that's interesting. I've never had a case where they went to the chiropractor for these pregnancy adjustments to make sure they were all squared away. And baby had a nice, you know, she was, she was like, it was like shooting a basketball into the net or, you know, 
just boop. And I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah, I was so I have now I'm starting to kind of turn my attention to wait a minute, what's what's not what's not in my cases, but this is kind of like a new so I at this point, I'm just going to probably do some childbirth blogs. And then who knows, maybe in my pregnancy book, I'll add, <laughs> I'll add some more on there, you know, what's not in my cases or something. So that maybe because the, the, most of it is what they could do. Well, the chiropractor adjustments would be um, pregnancy. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what they could do during pregnancy you know and yeah goes to a chiropractor might also be likely someone that would hire a doula or you know so there's mm -hmm. it's also like oh mm -hmm. yeah people yeah. that we work with yeah we definitely recommend chiropractors we always say we're biased towards them <laughs> we admit oh, that's awesome no yeah they're great mm -hmm. um I'm curious if you like had a a client of a birthing person that like not necessarily there was an outcome that was poor like poor outcome for baby or like the loss of a mother but where she felt like things were done to her against her will and she sues the hospital mm -hmm. like you know or is your specific to losses and, and losses so yeah. in Michigan here's the deal when you have a case like that you have to have damages without damages you don't have a case so if you know, I mean, I guess if it was emotional or something, it's just going to be a harder one for like an, I think an attorney to take on without like a physical, you know, someone that had a C-section and ended up with a hysterectomy or I don't know. It's mm -hmm. just something. Yeah, no, I haven't. No, I, I haven't had anything like that in all the cases. Um, yeah, there's been like more like loss of life or injury to the brain, shoulder, shoulder dystocia, the injured shoulder is common. Yeah. So, yeah, but those are probably it for me. The two families that I've worked with that have had probably the most, like, you know, every loss is devastating, but like who lost a, lost a baby and then one who had a baby that had um, ended up with permanent neurological damage, um, cerebral palsy. And they're actually both from Ireland, which was interesting. And both had like, were gave birth in extremely busy birth wards where they were understaffed and overwhelmed and all of that oh. in, in Ireland. Mm -hmm. um, but one of them was really interesting just to see how the legal system unfolded for them and, and the benefit that they got in that, like they did end up winning a case. Um, and again, this was in Ireland, but they, the money that they got every penny was I mean they still were like you know doing everything they could to afford the care that their son was getting and it was incredible I mean he mm -hmm. was doing things that you know he was like on palliative care multiple times and you know oh, all wow and is now walking mm -hmm. you know what? yeah 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 and we ended up doing a whole like we did a cord blood and he ended up getting stem cells from his sister it was it's an incredible story but it was really interesting to see how that how that can work for people, like winning lawsuits and getting these settlements. It's like make a difference. Yeah. Make a huge difference, like in the child's life. And, you know, he is alive, which is incredible. But like, you know, his quality of life, you know, right. when, I, when I first met them, they had just taken him out of the car and I thought he was just really sleepy from a nap because I didn't know yet. And just the way that he acted and the way that he was physically was like a child who was like 
yeah, who had just woken up from a nap and then later, you know, sort of realizing and hearing his story. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was really powerful. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the cases can, uh, you know, that, that that's the main damages is is the care that it'll take, um, you know, for the, the baby for the rest of their life. I mean, we, in Michigan, we've had some pretty big verdicts. You have 140, like 140 million Wow. You know, yeah, it's yeah, uh, able to move here, which they did specifically for treatments that were available in really in the states, but specifically in Northern California. Yeah, different treatments. So it was amazing. Um, wow. Yeah. If you need um a next venture, um, <laughs> we need more attorneys supporting midwives <laughs> because like. <laughs> I don't know about your experience, but it feels like it's got to be pretty bad at the hospital for you to get involved. And even then there's not a lot of liability for the OB or staff. It's more the hospital's liability, but for midwives who, you know, don't have a hospital backing them up, um, they're, they investigate every single one to the point where, you know, it kind of feels like a witch hunt, you know? Um, and, uh, midwives don't have the, the funds a lot of the times to, you know, pay to even get to court to keep their license. And so it feels like they're just like handing them over. Um, so I know that that's something that's really needed is people um, backing up midwives who end up in oh. cases. Yeah, court cases. Uh, <clears throat> you know, sometimes they have midwives, even home births have insurance. Is it it, it really varies state to state and the cost yeah. is so prohibitive for most midwives that it's like twice our annual income yeah just to have it oh jeez, that's yeah. ridiculous yeah it's, it's hard but you know luckily it's really rare that we have a bad outcome or that a family is wanting to do that you know oftentimes it's not related to a bad outcome it's just mm -hmm. you know yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I have transported to the hospital in what I felt was an emergency once in my entire career. And within a week, the mom got a letter off, like asking for her to sign over records so that they could report me for like, like poor care. And she was kind of like, I am not doing this. You gave me such good care. Like, and, but it just like, tells the midwives, if you come in, you better be careful, you know, because we're going to, we're going to investigate, you know, everyone who comes in. And so of course I'm going to go in if we need help again, but it like puts such a bad taste in your mouth. Like the one time I really needed them, all the other times we managed it at home. And the one time I needed them, they threw me under the bus, you know, like, wow. I'm, you know what? I'm surprised. Cause I feel like that's such a deterrent then for, you know what I mean? You guys, uh, that's awful. Yeah. They, yeah. 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 It's really that's, important. Um, yeah. That's, that is, that's not cool. So you're obviously you were doing what was best for that mom. And then, you know, for them to come back and do that. You know what? I love it though. Cause that mom obviously knew that you were in her corner doing what was best for her and was like, no way to that hospital. So I think that's, that says a lot right there. And some people could be like, well, if you didn't do anything wrong, like what's the harm? But it's just like, you just no. went through mm -hmm. a whole hassle and emotional turmoil and like fees, like to just even prove yourself, 
you know? I agree with that. No. Yeah. That's, that's too bad. Well, and it's interesting, like in our area, um, where, where are you, by the way, what part of the country are you in? Are you Michigan? Michigan. That's right. Okay. Um, the hospitals here, it can vary kind of widely, like their approaches and outcomes and like, you know, C-section rates and things like that. We have a few large teaching hospitals like UCSF, which ha- has been where I've seen the most neglect because there's so many residents and, you know, too many mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. But like the local hospital where I am, having started doing births there like close to 20 years ago as a doula to now has made huge changes to listen to what women want and what they you know and part of it is marketing I mean you know like they put their money where Mm -hmm. they wanted Mm -hmm. you know and and that was places that were had nicer suites were more accommodating, listened to women more, had lower intervention rates, have midwives, have midwives on staff, you know, um, lower NICU stays, but still the same outcomes as far as babies. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm still a little stuffed up. Um, So it, I think it, hospitals and providers have been listening Mm -hmm. to what women want and actually what works Mm -hmm. like what produces better outcomes um so you know it's yeah ultimately it'd be encouraging because there's two pieces to it it's like women educating themselves families educating themselves and hospitals making changes that aren't just stricter rules more documentation things like that but actually like systemic holistic changes in the way they practice Mm -hmm. to have better outcomes so that's you know Mm -hmm. I love it that's good they you know it's in their best interest to do it because I'll tell you you know these cases are big money so why you know doing stuff and making those positive changes like that and making you know making women more you know empowered and that's huge that's good to hear We touched on a couple of your chapters. Um, Are there any other chapters that you wanted to at least mention, if not like speak on? Oh, sure. Uh, So um, I'll just hit a couple of what I think are the important ones. So chapter one, actually chapter one is the lessons from the baby cases. I think it's so important that literally I put it on my website in a downloadable format everyone could just download it I don't even it, it's so important because this is like your basics um so ginamundy.com expecting parents chapter one right there for everyone to look at that's you know if you, I think if you everyone knows that that's a good really good start um but yeah no my it has some um cool chapters like chapter two um remember chapter one is like you need like this foundation of labor and delivery. So chapter two is kind of that foundation of labor and delivery, but it's not what you're going to find in a fluffy pregnancy book. I mean, mine's a little fluffy, but very direct because that's the way I am. But it's what I find important about childbirth um, that I think families need to know that they don't. Um, It's what I, it's kind of the facts or the basics that I rely on when I look at a baby case, if I have a mom or somebody call me from, you know, labor and delivery, you know, these are my facts that these are things I like to know. 
So I think that's huge. Um, and it will help make, you know, give parents a foundation, I think, hopefully to make good decisions. But then like, you know what, number the next chapter, I talk about the delivery team. Listen, the delivery team is, you know, or you guys or whatever, you know, you're really, you know, helping mom make sure that baby comes safely into this world. So, you know, and in my cases, it's the delivery team. It's their care that's at issue and talked about more than any other aspect of the case. Um, and then next, um, what I, you know, a big part, cause I'm a, you know, the attorney for the hospital and the doctors and whatnot is that basically I've been analyzing OBGYN doctors for over 20 years. So, you know, there's a whole doctor analysis that I do, you know, so I go through a couple of examples, you know, cause, but I have to be ready to stick a doctor, you know, basically in front of a jury and how are they going to, you know, how are what are they going to say? Are they as a jury of their peers going to like them or not? You know, but it kind of is almost like same with a patient. So, you know, and how they would, you know, see their doctor and how, how to figure out if it is a good doctor or not. Um, because if it's a bad doctor, they're not going in front of a jury. So I basically had this, how to figure out if it's a good doctor. Um, you know, even in your team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I go through, you know, I was in trial with a doctor, for weeks. I, you know, I give examples of that. Um, but I think another big one is, um, you know, if you're in the hospital to, to going to deliver a baby, um, having a baby advocate, um, whether, you know, doula or, you know, somebody even like you guys, I mean, just having somebody there, um, that's above and beyond your delivery team. And, you know, I have, um, in the book, I'm like, in that story, there's a story I tell in the introduction and the family story on what happened. Um, but in that story, my sister was the baby advocate. She doesn't have any medical experience. She did give birth to five kids. She did have me on the phone every five minutes, um, having, having her ask the questions. Um, but she was a great advocate that day. You know, um, it was her oldest daughter giving birth to her first grandchild. Um, so I go over, you know, just the importance of having, you know, a second set of eyes. I mean, if your husband would be a good baby advocate, great, or do, you know, whoever that might be. Um, but yeah, I just, go. Oh, there's a lot more, but I, that's, that's, a, that's the first few chapters. So again, this is, I wrote this book really, um, I started to write it for my kids because how I would prepare my kids as a childbirth attorney is going to be different than how any other traditional family prepares uh, for childbirth. Um, but then I'll tell you, once I went from attorney to author with this, you know, whole intent to help people um, have safer childbirths, I mean, it just, I, I couldn't stop writing. So it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a, it was a, crazy experience actually probably too much information but the first three months of writing I actually cried um every single morning boy I kind of went back and thought about these families and where they're at you know the day I had to you know talk to them and you know it was um I obviously had emotionally suppressed everything um so it all kind of came out um, but it kind of at the end, after the three months, when I finally stopped crying, I'd never thought I would stop crying. I almost stopped writing the books. I, I couldn't do it without crying. 
And, um, but then finally I had this clarity after three months and then that clarity really helped kind of fuel me or, you know, to, to just write the best book I could, you know, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, other families, um, don't, you know, have to go through this and, and the acknowledgements and the last sentence of the acknowledgements is, or paragraph is to the families. And I'm like, you know, basically I pray for you and I just hope that, you know, hopefully, you know, your stories that will help at least prevent some of this stuff in the future. So that's, that's, yeah, that's a probably a good chunk of what the book is. There's a lot more in it, but yeah. Like we kind of all have the same job because our focus is educating so that families can have safer outcomes and we're yeah. just doing it in different ways. Yeah. I love it. You guys sound amazing. So, you know, that's the thing. I'm not, you know, I'm not a medical provider at all you know I'm just the attorney so I'm like okay I'll read a book <laughs> so, I really you know besides the friends and the families and the, yeah. and the referrals that come to me I can't really you know do too much so I love that you guys are on the front lines you know helping these families I think that's huge um so well, good for you guys because the outreach you know could be so much greater than we could even reach you know this is our way the podcast you know to get a bigger outreach than just the amount of families we can take on yeah and when Sophia was saying um we were having a conversation with you today I got so excited mm -hmm. because I don't know of any other books written from this perspective I mean there's a million childbirth education books right mm -hmm. um but it's a really and part of me is like, oh, is, you know, people don't need more fear around childbirth. But in talking with you and what you're explaining, it really doesn't sound like that's the tone of the book. It's not like scaring people. Right. Like, decision -making. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So I, I was nervous about that um, for sure. Um, so I was very sensitive to it. You know, I've had, at least I've been pregnant three times, but I had, um, I lined up six beta readers that were pregnant mm -hmm. and I mean, they were all different first baby. And then into, you know, she was a nurse in her forties, giving birth to her second baby. I had a chicken, her thirties, third kid, you name it. Um, and I had them go through, um, my book and that was my number one question does this scare you in any way? And if it does, how so? And they were like, they were like, no, not at all. There was a couple parts I did tweak, like, and they were like, Gina, we are being really nitpicky. Um, <laughs> overall, not scared, love it. But it's more um, the reason, there's the reason why, but the book's definitely more just preventative, um, you know, than anything. And then informing parents, just these are, this, these are the things that are really important that you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank Amazing. you so much for coming on and, and for anyone who's listening, where can people find you or reach out to you so we can leave it in the show notes? Oh, sure. Um, the best thing is just Gina Mundy, G-I-N-A-M-U-N-D-Y.com. And again, that has the childbirth blog. Um, and then you'll have chapter one. I, you know what, right now I do have baby advocate chapter up there, but that was only supposed to be temporary, but people keep liking the, you know, they're finding it interesting. Cause at the end, I'm like, all right, at least have you make sure your baby advocate knows these five things, you know, or something. You know, so that one's been a hit. So I've, I still have it up there. We'll see how long it stays. The introduction to the book though is up there and that's kind of my why. Um, and I think when people read that and they're like, oh, this makes sense. Cause it's a, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a very, uh, it'll keep you reading story. Um, 
but yeah, that's probably, and then my book, um, the best place to get it is just Amazon. You can put in Gina Mundy in the search bar, or if you go to ginamundy.com, then there's like a million links to the book. <laughs> so. Good. Awesome. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been really informative. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you guys for having me. And I just love what you're doing for your pay your, your clients. Uh, <laughs> love what you're doing for your clients. They are in good hands. So thank you guys. Hey everyone, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Born Wild podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe every week to get the latest one. And please follow us on Instagram at Born Wild Podcast, as well as Facebook. You can also write to us at info at bornwildmidwifery.com, as well as our website, bornwildmidwifery.com. And remember, stay wild! wild.